once again this morning, please. Ruth chapter number two. And let's go ahead and stand. This has nothing to do with the message. I just keep finding myself very pleasantly surprised at the nice weather we're having and that it's the middle of November, that Thanksgiving is just around the corner. We are like a cloud, and boy, is it moving along quickly. Ruth chapter 2, we will again this morning read the entirety of the chapter. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn. After him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. She went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? The servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, as she tarried a little in the house, and then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Then Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me. All that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me. And for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, 
and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She brought forth, gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, and of our next kinsman. And Ruth the Moabite said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. And again, we will stop there and let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you do for us. And thank you, Father, for the variety of ways in which you explain it to us, that we might, in the limits of our finite minds, comprehend the fullness of your grace and the kind intentions that you have toward us. Bless the hearts, bless the lives, encourage the spirits of your people this day, please. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, the very fast explanation for the book of Ruth is it is God's way of providing for the lineage of David. It is certainly not the only way that God have, could have provided us with David, but it is the way that God chose to provide us with David. And one of David's ancestors is this Moabitish woman. And we will return to that. We know, of course, that the Moabites are not generally welcome among the Israelites. But that is the very fast and speedy version, and the book is really in many ways a goldmine of wonderful Bible truths. And the one I wish to call your attention to this morning is the way in which God, through Boaz, demonstrates his abundant grace to us. We all know that life events and life situations can easily call into question God's good intentions for us. And it is easy, as we saw last Wednesday in the Lamentations, it is easy to reach the pit of despair to have what appears to be the strong hand of God against us in such a way to despair of his kindness. And Ruth is certainly a woman who has known grief and sorrow. She has buried a husband. She has left her family. And of course, her leaving is always grievous, but there are no speedy airplanes back to Moab 
or cell phone communication or Zoom conferences. Her departure from her parents seems to be final in abandonment. And yet God is incredibly gracious to her. And there is no evidence, by the way, that Ruth ever bemoans her situation or laments it. But our, our subject this morning is on the kindness of God demonstrated in Boaz's treatment of Ruth. And I would just like to call to your attention several ways specifically in which we see that. First, it is shown through the material generosity of Boaz. It is shown through the material generosity of Boaz toward Ruth. We are told at the beginning, folks, and this is not accidental. This is an incredible part of the storyline. You have in Boaz about the richest of the rich. We are not told that he is like Job, the richest man in the East, but we are told that he is a mighty man of wealth, a powerful man, an influential man. All the evidences of the text are that he is a prominent man within that culture. Tremendous wealth, tremendous respect. He is well thought of by those around him. Ruth, on the other hand, folks, by blatant contrast, has nothing. She has nothing in this world. She is a foreigner. We do not know how much hostility she would have experienced. We don't know what her individual circumstances were. Boaz certainly looks out for her physically because of her gender more than her ethnicity. But the likelihood is then, as it is today, folks, that foreigners are easy prey. Ruth has nothing. She is not a true citizen of the land. She is not a native-born covenant member. And she is reduced to living as the poorest people in the land lived. Again, this is by deliberate contrast. Here is in the land. We want you to note this, Ruth 2.1. There is this prominent man of wealth, very influential, Ruth, on the other hand, is reduced to making her living by the most humiliating means possible. Leviticus 9.9, you need not turn to it. When ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of the harvest, thou shalt not glean the vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard, thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Apart from something immoral like selling herself as a prostitute, these are the prospects that Ruth has. She is reduced to undertaking the labor of one who is both poor and a stranger. But of course, as luck would have it, the field that she ends up in is the field of the wealthiest man in the story if not in the land, the wealthiest man in the family. Let's put it that way. He is the wealthiest family member. My father was one of six children. Five boys 
all of whom, by the way, had reputation as um, zealous, wild, and immoral, and one sister who ended up marrying a man who became the richest man in the family. Um, but he was far from, he, was, he ended up at the end of his life after many illnesses being a fairly tolerable individual to be around. But most of my childhood, I remember him as being, stay away from him, he's mean. That was the way we all thought of him. Stay away from him, he's mean. That is not in any way a description of Boaz, this tremendous man of wealth and godliness. And when she chooses his field to her accidentally, just as luck would have it, You'll notice, folks, that Boaz is very generous to her materially. Verse number 14. Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip of thy morsel in the vinegar. Come and sit at my table for dinner. And then when she's done with dinner, in verse number 15, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. Don't make her stay back until everybody else is picked and pick up what's left. Let her go into the field first. Let her have access to some of that field and pick first. Also, verse 16, let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. Drop some. Tell the harvesters to drop some. So that when she goes back to the field, she's not picking a bare field. Verse number 18. She took it up and went into the city, her mother-in-law, with what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her after that she had reserved, after she was sufficed. Somebody has called this Ruth's doggy bag. Right? Ruth ate and then took home plenty. What's the point of the story, folks? Right? This is a preview of the grace of God. The absolute, unfettered generosity of God. The God who gives and gives and gives and gives. The God who is happy to give, who is willing to give. Not simply materially. The material is what is demonstrated in this passage. God is abundant in his grace. He is, Paul says, rich in his mercy. Secondly, we see the evidence of Boaz's graciousness in that he appreciates her faith, not her femininity. He appreciates her faith, not her femininity. We know from Genesis 19 that the Moabites come but from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his children. It is a very dark and sordid moment in Jewish history that this man the nephew of the great and mighty Abraham is reduced to living a life in Sodom and Gomorrah two daughters who choose an incestuous relationship with their own dad in Deuteronomy chapter 2 the Israelites are told to leave them alone that they would not inherit any of the land that God had given to the Moabites. They were off limits. That will not be your land. They have their own land. 
And in Deuteronomy 23.3, they are banned from entering into the congregation of the Lord for the tenth, till the 10th generation. At least 250 years, possibly 400 years. Without stirring up a hornet's nest, folks. Somewhere in your theology that God wants everybody to be saved, you have to come to grips with a God who said, that group of people over there, they're not welcome. They're not welcome. They, they don't get to come in. They show up and want to be a Jew. The answer to them is no. They don't get to come in. So when you get to Ruth chapter 2, folks, and verse number 14, we will come back because this is, again, this is something that really emerges in chapter number 3 where people find all kinds of questions about ethics and morals. But the first ethical moral question that is raised in the text with reference to these kinds of relationships is chapter 2 and verse number 14. Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come hither and eat of the bread. Inviting a Moabite to sit at your table for dinner was on the border of scandalous. It was something that a good, dedicated Jew wasn't supposed to do. But then again, folks, in chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, we note what is driving Boaz. Why are you being so kind to me? Why are you showing me this grace? She identifies herself as a stranger, an alien, not just from another country, but somebody who is not a part of the covenant community. These are strong bands, folks, strong bonds and bands that bind these people into a particular code of conduct. For instance, let me just give you a couple of illustrations. Jews were not permitted to eat any animal that died a natural death. Jews had to slaughter their own live animals. They could eat them, but they had to slaughter them. If it died a natural death, a Jew couldn't eat it. But you could give it to somebody who wasn't a Jew. Deuteronomy 14.21 You're a Jew, you couldn't eat it, but a stranger, they can eat it. If you were a Jew, you couldn't charge another Jew usury or interest on a loan. But you could charge people who weren't Jews usury. That was okay. They're not part of the covenant community. Deuteronomy 23.20. So there are clear rights and responsibilities. There are privileges that come to being a Jew that do not extend to people who are, in the language of our Bible, strangers, foreigners. But what Boaz saw was her faith in God. And what Boaz saw was her treatment of her mother-in-law. Hold your place in Ruth, but turn if you would please to the book of Ephesians and the second chapter.
A familiar passage, Ephesians chapter 2, and let's begin in verse number 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, a derogatory term, as in uncircumcised Philistines. Verse number 12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile, uncircumcised and circumcised, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make of him in himself of twain one new man, so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom are built and fit framely, oh, forgive me, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Back to a fee, or back to Ruth chapter 2. In a preview form, folks, this is what Boaz saw when he looked at Ruth. Not a Moabitess woman. Not a pagan. But a woman who had placed her trust on Jehovah and who had identified with the covenant community. And so, to put it this way, was one of them. This is grace, folks. God's grace to us is previewed in Boaz's grace to Ruth. He provided for her abundantly. He entered into true fellowship with her. Let's think about this. Are there people you'd really rather not eat with? Or can I put it this way? If you are alienated from somebody, do you want to eat with them? Is that the ideal setting to share a meal? Hostility? Unpleasantness? Here is Boaz having dinner with Ruth. Not Ruth alone, not an intimate romantic dinner. A common meal at which She is welcome, an evidence of her acceptance by this prominent man. I mean, really, folks, what does Ruth bring to the table? What does Ruth have to offer? 
In what way could Ruth add anything to Boaz? He is prominent. He is wealthy. Thirdly, the grace of Christ is previewed through Boaz's desire to commit to her and to make her his wife. Now we don't really see that yet. That is where the story goes. You know the story. That is what comes next. But over all of chapter 3 and most of chapter 4, we have Boaz taking definitive active steps, not simply to be kind to Ruth, but to wed Ruth and to make her his wife. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 9. Chapter 4 and verse number 9. Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, Ye are witnesses this day, that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Kilian's, and all and Maon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place, ye are witnesses this day. Now folks, this is not just simply a man describing an economic transaction. This is not simply a guy going, look, I have all this money. I have all the cars that I want. I have all the homes that I want. I have all the toys that I want. The only thing I don't have is a wife. I'm going to buy me one of those too. But there is a distinct spiritual purpose to what he was doing. If you want to carry the analogy all the way through, folks, what is the only thing that keeps humanity from going extinct? the grace of Christ to his people. That is the only thing between us and extinction. All humanity is condemned to eternal punishment and torment. The only way there is a name that continues to exist is if Christ redeems us and brings us into his fold. This is... And we'll get to eventually, of course, to chapter 4. But this is the loving act of a man determined to perpetuate and protect and preserve the name of this people. This is exactly what Christ has done for us. Acts 20.28, you're familiar with the passage. Paul says to the elders at Ephesus, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. You are not mine, dear people. You do not belong to me. This is most certainly not my church. People will commonly say to a pastor, your church, this is not my church. This is Christ's church that he bought with his blood. He bought you with his own blood. And he has organized us into local fellowships for our betterment as a demonstration of his grace. 
Paul writes to the Galatians, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And in Paul's world, adoption was not simply bringing someone into the family. You might be adopted and already be in the family. To be adopted to Paul was to confer all of the family privileges upon someone. Julius Caesar had a nephew by the name of Octavian. Had his own children. He actually had children by Cleopatra. But he had a nephew named Octavian and he adopted him. So that upon his Julius Caesar's death, Octavian would take his place. Bestowing upon him all of the privileges that he himself enjoyed. We have the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, Galatians 4, 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The generosity of God shown to us, illustrated, folks, just illustrated, in the generosity of Boaz to Ruth. Christ did not die for us simply out of his own selfishness, but to obtain for himself a people that he loves. And he has determined to love you. That's not a bad thing. <clears throat> that's, not a, that's not an insulting thing. We're only insulted by that, folks, if we really somehow secretly believe that we are worthy of that love. But just as he said to Israel, he says to us, I set my love upon you. I've chosen to love you. I love you. I want to be with you. It is my good pleasure to give you a kingdom to make you my children. John 17, 24, Jesus prayed, Father, I will, it is my will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. You could say to Jesus, what do you want? One of the things he wants is to be with us. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. This is, folks, Ruth chapter 2. A photograph, a snapshot of the great grace of Christ shown to us. An abundance of material provision. A welcoming at his table. A marriage with him. His blood has transformed us from aliens and strangers to citizens and sons. His blood. And even, folks, when he does discipline us, which he does, it is a discipline in love. Hebrews chapter 12. And in fact, I would point out to you... <clears throat> From Psalm 103.10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. 
nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He's never, ever, ever been as hard upon us as we probably deserve. But instead lavishes upon us hope, the ability to serve him, the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of his spirit. So he is so gracious to us And our only appropriate response, folks, is to respond in kind as best we can. Paul writes again in Ephesians 1.5 of God the Father having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He really wanted to do it. He really wanted to make us his children. He really wanted to confer upon us the status of childhood. The only thing being denied us is everything that belongs to Christ as the firstborn. So that of the Son we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted Christ. And of His Spirit the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. It is not unreasonable, right? Ruth marveled at the grace that was shown to her. It's not unreasonable for us to be grateful for what God has done. All right, in just a second, we're going to pray and make a couple of announcements. And Brother Josh, I see you sitting back there. I know you're not expecting this, but would you come up and say goodbye? Seriously, they're leaving. I don't know. You know, some of you won't be here this evening, This, but he's here this morning. Would you... Say whatever it is. I, don't, I know you haven't had a lot of time to plan, but if you want to say something to the people like, glad to be out of here. <clears throat> and would you pray? I'll just make a couple of announcements. You'll pray and we'll have our closing song and be dismissed. It's been good to have them here. They're leaving Wednesday uh, to go back to Kenya. So pray for them as they go. Pray for the, uh, the ministry there. All right, so just a couple of announcements uh, to you. Uh, of course, we are collecting for Adoptive Family. Appreciate so much your participation. We ask that... Today, that you have any of your gifts in and designated by today, we're kind of treating that as a cutoff. Realistically, if you contribute afterwards, we'll take it. But we're we're using today as the cutoff to make our plans, so appreciate your involvement there. Um, As far as I know, and I'm really not trying to be funny, I think we have a, a missionary being here Wednesday night. I've not heard confirmation back from him yet, but it's been kind of a slow process in communicating. But anyway, Wednesday night... Uh, as far as I know, Yarek Mudrov, a man who is from Russia, uh, will be here. He and his wife presenting their ministry. So you can just kind of plan on that. And then just a reminder that Patch will be singing on December 3rd, December 3rd in the evening service. Okay, Josh is going to come, and he's going to greet you and pray. And then we'll have our closing song. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.